Let me invite you, church, to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke today, Luke chapter 5, and as we're turning there, uh, our children are invited. They're welcome to gather in the foyer outside of the sanctuary and go with Mr. David and children's ministry leaders for for children's worship time. But we're in Luke chapter 5 this morning as we continue our series uh, on loving my neighbor. And so what we just saw depicted here on the platform is what we've been doing. One of the things that we've been doing as a church family, it's been an emphasis of ours this year through our Engage Meadowbrook initiative where we are gathering on site periodically. We've been doing this specifically during the month of July on Wednesday nights. We're coming together for a a short time of equipping, of training, and of of prayer. And then we're going out to do uh, what we just saw depicted here on the platform. You see, this initiative, our Meadowbrook, our Engage Meadowbrook initiative is about introducing folks to Jesus. That's our aim. Right? That's, that's our ambition when we go out into the community. It's great to have good neighbors. We, we all want to be and have good neighbors, but our neighbors don't need us. I ultimately, they don't need us, they need Jesus. And so we want to be ready, we want to be equipped, we, we want to be willing to introduce them, to, to introduce them to Jesus as the Lord leads us. And as we sense, as we sense the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit leading us by God's grace, church, that's what we're, we're doing. We're having personal conversations with folks about Christ. Let me share just a few uh, numbers, a few statistics uh, from this year. So this is just from 2021. We we began doing this prior to this year. In fact, we began a couple years ago with a preliminary time, but even last fall we had a a couple uh, opportunities to go out together collectively, and then we've been doing this periodically this year. But just in 2021, through these initiatives, church, uh, we've knocked on 557 doors uh, we have had 267 encounters, mean, meaning 267 of those opened up the door and had a conversation with us. And of those, we have prayed specifically with and for 153 of them, and we have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with 59 of them. Church, God is working through this. He is working in uh, a marvelous way. He is, he is working uh, for the good of this community and ultimately for the glory of his name. And in fact, going back to the couple of times last fall, those times together with uh, the times we've done that this year, we've had uh, over 70 of you Meadowbrook folks participate in these opportunities together. That's not to say you're, you're doing that. Keep doing that on your own. Right. That's, that's not counting the conversations that you're having day by day and and week to week with your neighbors about Jesus. Keep doing that. But I want you to know we've got an opportunity to do so together and and God is blessing it. He is he is working through it for his glory. And this morning, as we as we look at his his word, we're going to hear about some men who brought their friend to Jesus who brought a friend to encounter Jesus. They recognized that their lost friend needed Jesus. And these guys haven't been to seminary, right? They, they've never trained in an evangelism explosion class. They, they don't even know anything about the three circles. I'm not even sure they understand who Jesus is. 
but they know their friend needs him. And so they take him to Jesus and his life is changed. It's changed forever. Church, Jesus changes lives. And let's see how Jesus changed this life. Luke chapter 5. Did you find your place there in God's Word? Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Holy Word. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. I'll read verses 17 through 26. The Bible reads this way. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are your heart, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up. And walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Pause with me in prayer. Father, we, we too who have encountered you, Lord, who know you have seen remarkable things. Father, we pray that you would guide us now as we strive to understand this story in your word, as we strive to to know you and to know you more. So Lord, lead us in that way by the presence and guidance of your Holy Spirit, the preaching of your word. For the glory of your name, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for some, it was his teaching, right? As one who taught with great wisdom and authority. For for others, it was his miracles. Restoring sight, healing the lame, casting out demons and feeding the masses, and still for others, it was jealousy, wanting to trap Jesus, to catch him saying something worthy of condemnation so they could get rid of him. All three types of folks were there that day. Jesus was teaching, and folks gathered to hear the master teacher. Jesus had been healing, and folks came hoping to witness His mighty power. And Luke tells us, as he taught, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. In fact, he says that they've come from every village, taking notes, listening critically, 
watching closely. For if they can determine this Jesus is a madman masquerading as a, a prophet, then they can go on wielding the religious power and waiting on their real Savior. But there is no masquerade here. He's the real deal. Sent from God. They fail to recognize the Son of God. They fail to consider Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior sent from God. Christ came to save. He came proving His power and His position by healing diseases and forgiving sins. Church, Jesus has power to heal and forgive. If this story says anything about this Jesus the Christ, it is that He has power to heal and to forgive. Signs of His supremacy. Proof of His identity. He's ordinary, yet extraordinary. He's kind, yet confrontational. He welcomes curious crowds and sick sinners, but then He withdraws to be alone. So if you men, if you men hear that he's in a house, in a particular house in Capernaum, and so they bring their paralyzed friend, believing Jesus can help him. We, we don't know anything about the origins of um, this man's paralysis, but we know he's got friends who want to help him and who believe that this guy, Jesus, can help him. Friend, who do you... Who do you know who's hurting? Who do you know who's hurting? Who do you know who is in need of Jesus? Who do you know who's in need of an an encounter with Jesus? I know you know hurting people. Let's introduce the hurting to Jesus. Let's introduce the hurting to Jesus. People hurt. You know this. You know that... People experience hardship and suffering in this life. No doubt many of you facing these things even today. Depression, divorce, anxiety, cancer, bankruptcy, infertility, abuse, loneliness, grief. The list is seemingly endless. People hurt. We hurt. No one is immune from suffering and hurt and heartache in this life. If you're hurting today, I encourage you to draw near to the healer of hurts. Draw near to Christ. See Christ's care. See His compassion. See His compassion for this ancient lost man in Capernaum and see His compassion for you. Friend, Christ Jesus cares for you. He cares deeply for you. He loves you with an unfailing, with a steadfast, with a never, ever ending love. He's interested in you. He's interested in you today. And in your lost neighbor. He's interested. And so let's look to Him. Let's look to Jesus the Christ. And let's help the hurting around us also look to Him. Let's introduce the hurting to Jesus to hear His word. To hear His word. Luke says here that Jesus was teaching. In Mark's account of the same story, he says that Jesus preached the word to them. Mark chapter 2, verse 2. What's the word? It's God's word. It's his revelation. It's the self-disclosure of 
God. Through the written word, we come to know God. I mean, think about this, right? The very existence of the word, the very existence of the scriptures recorded and then compiled and then preserved implies that God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He invites us to know him. He has made himself known through his, his word. God desires for all the world to know his power and his grace, to know him as maker and as redeemer, as savior, the one who heals the hurting and who restores sinners. You see, these men work hard to bring their lame friend to Christ, encounter obstacles along the way. They cannot enter the house because of the crowds. So they take him up and they cut through the tiles of the roof and they lower him in front of Jesus. They work hard to bring their friend to Christ. And likewise, loving our lost neighbors means investing in them to help them encounter Christ. Jesus helps the hurting. He heals this guy. Jesus empowers paralyzed men to walk But even so, even so, church, Luke wants us to know that's not the main miracle here. Jesus' primary purpose isn't physical, but spiritual healing. How do we know this? We know it, I think, because Mark tells us so. Mark tells us, he reminds us that as as Jesus' popularity has grown, he He's developing a reputation throughout Galilee and people are flocking to him. There's people constantly wanting to be where Jesus is. They want to hear him. They want to see his miracles. They want to experience his miracles. As his popularity is rising, the crowds are coming. Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he says, let's go somewhere else. He says, I need to preach other places. That's why I came. You see, Jesus didn't give folks exactly what they wanted, but he gave them what they needed. He gives us what we need. He explained the scriptures and he called his hearers to repent and to believe the good news, to believe the gospel. What news? What good news? The news of forgiveness by grace through faith in him, a message of hope and of comfort for the hurting. So church, let's introduce the hurting to Jesus to hear his word and to experience his forgiveness. So that they may experience the forgiveness of God. The paralytic was physically sick. He was hoping, no doubt, for physical restoration. But as Leon Morris has noted, Jesus' first words have to do with sin, not sickness. See, Jesus cares about this man. He cares deeply about this man. He cares about all of him. And he knows physical paralysis isn't the main issue. It's a symptom of a much deeper problem, a symptom of living in a sick world, a broken world in disarray because of human sin. The primary issue Jesus comes to address isn't physical paralysis, but it's spiritual paralysis, a numbness to our need for a Savior. We need God's forgiveness, and Jesus comes to provide it. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 20, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Salvation 
By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus honors the paralytic's faith. Their faith here, I think, refers to the whole party. The forgiveness offered isn't earned, it's not achieved, but it's received, right? Notice the passive tense verb. Friend, your sins are forgiven. God forgives you your sin. God graciously forgives sinners. And as soon as Jesus says as much, it's like a bomb goes off in that room, right? It's not a booming voice from heaven pronouncing forgiveness here. It's Jesus. It's this guy, Jesus of of Nazareth, the one called the Son of God and Son of Man. Let's tell the hurting about this one. Let's tell them about the Son of God and Son of Man. Let's introduce the hurting to Jesus, to hear His Word, to experience His forgiveness, and let's tell them about Him. Let's tell them that He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. When the lips of Christ offer forgiveness, right, it's it's like a silent bomb has been dropped in this crowded house. The Pharisees and the scribes, they begin thinking to one another, who is this fellow? What's he saying? Who's this guy who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is speaking evil of God or it's blatantly disrespecting God. You don't don't want to be guilty of blasphemy. And in the minds of the religious elite, in the minds of the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus is guilty of just that. He's guilty of blasphemy because he's claiming to do something that only God can do. I mean, can you just imagine the anger on the fuming faces of these scribes? Who does this guy think he is? Who does he think? How dare this man speak for our God? But they don't realize that they are indeed listening to God. Right. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses, and the God of the God of David. If only they knew, if only they understood, if only they had ears to hear and eyes to see, they would know they were speaking to the king of all kings. If only they knew this was God's son. And our Savior sent to die for the sins of the world. If only they believed what what Paul would one day believe. Paul, one of their own, who would one day say, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. The man who is God. The God-man, the Son of God, whom the Scriptures now declare as the exact representation of God's being, the one who would soon say, I and the Father are one. You see, the Pharisees are right. In a sense, they're they're right to say that only God forgives sins. They just don't realize they're speaking to God. He's the one. He's the one with the power to, to heal and to forgive sins. Have you received his forgiveness? Have you received the forgiveness that Christ Jesus freely offers to you? Have you turned to Christ in repentance and faith? Have you received the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation with God? He offers it freely. What about your neighbor? Have they received? Does she know about it? Does he know about it? Who do you know who needs to know Jesus the Christ? Let's tell them about the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We think about Jesus' response here for just a moment. 
Jesus wants those who oppose him to know him. Now, I want you to know. I want you to know that the Son of Man, a self-designation, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I want you to know that I have the power to forgive sins. I want you to know who I am. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation, it seems, used over 80 times, recorded over 80 times in the Gospel. Jesus describes himself this way. It's Jesus' way of owning his humanity, right? of identifying with the rest of us, a way of saying he's human like us. But the title carries another connotation as well. It's got a history, an Old Testament history used by Daniel the prophet to describe one coming in God's timing who will have an everlasting dominion, an eternal kingdom. The, the ruler of God's eternal kingdom is called one like a son of man. Jesus says, I'm, I'm the son of man. Denny Aiken writes about this. He says, Jesus uses the title to refer to himself with both connotations. As God incarnate, he is a human being, right? He's like us, who identifies with sinful humanity as he serves and suffers on our behalf. And as God, he is the coming Lord of glory. In other words, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man to reveal the scope of his ministry as this perfect mediator between God and humanity. So let's tell the world about this great mediator. And as we do, friends, as we do, church, as we do, we're trusting God to work. We're trusting Him to work. We're not trying to force anything at all that's not there, that He's not interested in or is not already working through. We're trusting Him to work and striving to be faithful. And as we're faithful, God's at Work is working in us and despite us and through us and beyond us for his glory. And the moment we think otherwise, that it's about us, we've missed it entirely. I don't know if, if any of you guys spent any time outside the last couple of days, but it's, it's hot. Summer's here. After days and days of rain, it's summertime in Alabama and it is hot. And I spent some time the last couple days doing some yard work and um, had a conversation recently and was looking at our yard and thinking some trees going to come down. And there was one small tree. I thought, you know, I'm going to tackle that tree. And so I, I did, right? I cut it down. And there's not much more sort of gratifying uh, than cutting down a tree, assuming it goes well, and so cut down a tree and then began to cut that tree up and took it a step further. You know what I thought? We got a wood-burning brick fireplace. I'm going to split some wood. So yesterday, right, started splitting some some wood. And for a few minutes, after about three minutes, I thought, you know what? I'm done with this. <laughs> and then it hit me. I thought, you know I Pretty sure I've got the wood laying wrong there. You gotta cut with the grain. And so I'm gonna give this one more whirl and did. And sure as a whirl, split some wood. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna do this some more. And so split some more. I don't know if you've ever swung an axe, but it's one of the most exhausting things in the world. But the moment the wood splits, it's one of the most gratifying things in the world. As, so I'm out there just 
sweating buckets, smelling like who knows what. But I've got a stack of firewood. In fact, there was a moment in the heat of the day when Ashley stepped aside to check on me um, because I have a tendency to go until I'm beyond um, healthy and safe. And so she checks on me, and, and I just sort of in the moment said, you know what, babe? I said, um, uh, if you don't love me right now, uh, you don't like manly men. And you know what she said? I don't know what she said. She just sort of rolled her eyes, right? <laughs> and so there's a moment in all of that when it goes as planned. You're sort of tempted. I'm tempted to sort of praise self. There's a moment of self-praise as if I accomplished something. And when it comes to, to chopping wood, yeah, it is, it is about sort of brute strength or some tips of the trade, certainly. But there's, there's a way to do it and, and you do it. But when it comes to, to introducing folks to Christ. It's not about self-praise. It's not about anything that we can do or accomplish on our own. It totally depends on the work of the Lord. It is up to Him. It's about praising Him. And as we're faithful, if we're faithful, God works through that. He works despite our shortcomings. He works despite our inadequacies. He works for His glory and He desires to work in and through us. This is His, His plan. It's because God is at work in the world. And when we see He, when we see God working in the world, our task, our job, our posture ought to be a posture of praising Him. So when we see Him at work, let's praise Him. Let's praise Jesus for what He has done. Let's praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Friends, we worship a God who does things. We worship a God who's accomplishing things. We, we worship one who has done and who is doing mighty things. A God who is always on the move, right? Who is never static, who's never dormant or distant or silent, right? This, this mighty and mysterious three-in-one God is eternally alive. He's forever faithful and he's incredibly near to those who submit to him. Let's praise Jesus for who he is. Let's exalt him for who he is and for what he has done and what he will do. What has he done? What has he done? He's forgiven our sins. He's healed our diseases. He's redeemed our lives. He's redeemed mine. He's purchased mine. He's forgiven me. Has he forgiven you? Jesus stands ready and willing and able to forgive all who turn to him in in faith. In fact, this is our greatest need. Did you know that? This is your greatest need. The greatest need is not more money, right? It's not a cleaner diet. It's not happier children or even freedom from pain. Our greatest need is Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that is found and only found in Jesus Christ. He's your greatest need and your lost neighbor's. Do you know your children's greatest need? Your aunt, your uncle, the stranger that's walking down the street, do you know their greatest need? If we know their greatest need, how could we not tell them? How could we not make every effort to tell them about the Christ who counted it all joy to endure the cross of Calvary for their salvation. Let's tell them. Let's tell them about what Jesus has done, that he removes our guilt, that he forgives our sins, that he has taken our place, that he pardons, cleanses, and restores us to friendship with God Almighty. Jesus has power to heal and to forgive. And those who see his power and grace 
stand ready to praise him for it. Verse 26, everyone was amazed, right? They were amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. See, he's a miracle working God. And here's a miracle fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy concerning God's coming kingdom. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah chapter 35, he says, then, hundreds of years, 700 or so years before this happens, he says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Right? A picture of the healing and the restoration brought about by Jesus through the inauguration of God's kingdom. But a picture A picture of healing and restoration that will one day be made complete and lasting upon the return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of His kingdom. When those with faith in Christ will experience complete and lasting healing in a perfect paradise with Him. Oh, church, He is praiseworthy. Are you praising Him in your heart today? Are you praising Him with His people? Let's praise Jesus for what He's done. Let's praise Him for what He's done. Just worship Him for who He is. And then, once we've seen and received what He's done for us, let's love our lost neighbors by leading them to Jesus. Let's lead them to Jesus. Let's trust that God's at work. Let's step out in faith. And let's talk to those around us, those in our path, those that we encounter about this this Jesus. Let me conclude this morning by giving you just a couple possible starting points to do just that. Two immediate application points that you can begin to apply the truths of this text, of this passage, of this call to your life this week. Number one, join us this Wednesday. I encourage you, join us this Wednesday. We've got a quarterly business meeting at 6 o'clock. You don't want to miss that, right? 6 o'clock, we'll have a business meeting, then we'll have a brief time of going out together, trusting the Lord to work. We're trusting the Lord to work. We're praying that He works. We're pairing up with folks that have walked this journey before us. And we've said it before, we'll say it again. Perhaps you're scared of, uh, scared to death. Maybe you want to come, but you don't know what to say. You're not sure how you'd respond when you come. We'll pair you up with somebody who's comfortable leading a team of two or three folks. And we'll go and we'll encounter our neighbors. We'll love on them. We'll express care for them. We'll pray for them. If the Lord opens the door, we'll share Christ with them. And we'll invite them to come be a part of our block party the following week. Join us this Wednesday. I want you to know we had about 30, I think, this last Wednesday. We had a great group, and over 10 of those were students. They were youth, middle schoolers and high schoolers standing together, going together to love on our neighbors. Join us this Wednesday. Second immediate application step. Let's pray for an opportunity to share Jesus this week. Let's pray for the opportunity. Let's pray that the Lord would lead us in that way, that He would show us an opportunity, that He would give us an opportunity to share the love of Jesus, to share Jesus this week with a neighbor who needs to hear about Him. And by the way, easy invite as you're doing so, as you're befriending your neighbors, easy invite block party, August the 4th. You heard about it. It's going to be 6 o'clock. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be fun for all ages. We're counting on you, church. To help us pull that off. A time of loving on our 
community. And then again on August the 8th, that's Sunday, not another block party, but a day of worship. We're going to have a fellowship breakfast where all our adults will be together in the fellowship hall. We'll also have breakfast in our different age group ministries at 930. And then uh, for guests, we'll have our starting point lunch. We're going to feed folks well that day. And if you invite somebody to come and you encourage them to stay for that lunch, know that you're invited to stay too. Come join us and let's trust the Lord to lead us in that way for the glory of his name. Father, we pray that we would be ready, that we would be willing, that we would be faithful. And Lord, that you would indeed show us opportunities before us or to share about Jesus. Father, the son of God and son of man, Great I am, the good shepherd, our redeemer, Lord and King. Father, we we want to be faithful, and Lord, we, we want to trust you. Lord, help us to trust you and show us where you're at work so that we can lean into that. But Lord, don't let us attempt this on our own. Father, draw us near to you. Give us a joy and a delight and satisfaction in walking with you. And following after you, Lord, so that we will be faithful to you, exalting Christ until Christ our Savior returns. Lord, guide us now. Lead us as we respond. Stir us as we sing. Lord, lead us to be faithful to you. It's in the name of Jesus and for the glory of his name that we pray. Amen.